Well, <clears throat> it looks like we're all back, or well, most of us are here. Uh, so welcome back from your small groups. I'm sorry that the bell had to ring when it did. I'm sure that the group could have continued for a bit longer. But we sort of reconvene so as to be able to pick up the themes that have emerged in each group. And um, although Chris and Richard uh, are sitting up the front, this is very much uh, a part of the event when your contributions can be shared as well. So please feel free to um, offer any reflections you may have to. It's not a question and answer session, it's not a panel. Um, but uh, if something has arisen for you that feels relevant or if something that Richard and uh, Chris have mentioned or referred to has touched something in you, do feel free to share it. I know we're a large group, but we are actually, I think, quite a welcoming group. So hopefully it won't be, feel too intimidating. In terms of contributions, instead of having to speak and then have your question repeated, there will be a roving mic, yes, which means that uh, you'll have an opportunity to speak into the microphone. And you could, can regard it as a flower as opposed to a mic, yes? I don't know if you know the Thich Nhat Hand tradition of having something in the center of a circle and only speaking when you have something in your hand, yes? Well, this is what's going to be that object, okay? So um, I'll try and keep track. If there are a lot of hands going up, I'll try and catch them in the sequence that they arise and uh, try and come back to you. But if you feel you haven't been heard, then please make sure that your hand goes really high up. So we have one contribution. I'll turn the mic on. Could you pass that back, please? Thank you. Stephen, thank you. <clears throat> For me, it feels appropriate to start this by thanking Richard's wife for her permission, because I felt in your sharing you made an invaluable contribution to this, what's going to unfold now. I felt it in the group. I felt people willing, more willing to share in a similar kind of way. And when that happens, then there's lots of room for real Dharma to arise. So thank you. Right, we were talking in our group about the title, The Gift of Loss, and um, about how the gift probably at the beginning sometimes isn't realised, that there's a lot of pain and acceptance to go through first before you realise the gift in it. Um, I think that's all I wanted to say, really. Zofia, just speak into the microphone, just a little bit nearer. Like this? Is it okay? Okay. Uh, I would like, with great respect, disagree with Ajahn Amaro about the similarity of um, being uh, dependent and taken care of between the monastic community and old people because a monastic community, and for good reason, is 
many good reasons, is loved and respected. And uh, people who support it uh, give their care and support with love and respect. And unless it's a close, loving family, it's not the reality for a lot of old people. And even I have some friends who've got children. I don't have children. But children are on other continents. Another dissimilarity for me is that it's a very clear exchange of energy. People give the material support and receive the fruit of the practice, the teaching, the wisdom. And the, some old people, if they keep their <coughs> brain in a good state, they can give back some wisdom. But people who are most vulnerable, Alzheimer cases and so on, th they can't really give anything back. So there is no exchange. And uh, for me, it's, you know, I'm the most afraid of being cared for by people who don't care, and I've seen enough of it. And basically my question is, this is because I, I, I saw the example of my very, very dear aunt who aged and died at 94 with clear mind and surrounded by loving family. And it was a beautiful thing to watch, but it won't be my case. And uh, my question is how to deal with this kind of fear, which is probably my deepest fear at the moment. Well, thank, uh, thank you for your, your comments. Um, you know, as uh, uh, I said and has been said uh, uh, subsequently, you know, the teachings are given for people's consideration. They're not to be uh, regarded as um, sort of absolute truths to be believed, but you know, offered for reflection. So uh, what I, I was talking uh, or trying to, to address was how if we, we change the attitude um, then lessons are learned, or, or valuable qualities can be developed if, if the attitude shifts, either in the, the carer or the caree, or in, in both, you know, the one who's being cared for, the one who is doing the caring. And so that even if the person who is, um, uh, say, uh, in the, uh, on the receiving end is being looked after by people who are, um, say you know, less than careful or less than considerate. You know, obviously that's a very painful and difficult situation. Um, and uh, you know, I uh, I understand that can be you know, very very tragic and problematic. But still, um, if there is uh, that uh, a quality of uh, say reflectiveness, or a person has say developed that attitude, then even that kind of poor care or people t treating them with um, disregard. Uh, can be a valuable lesson, and that uh, uh, there was a very interesting experiment that was done a few years ago in the states. A, a woman who was um, a gerontologist studying old age, and she um, she was in her mid thirties. She was a, a, a graduate, like a PhD student, and um, so she set up a, a series of encounters that were scripted. She went to particular shops or services, and she went first of all as a young, smartly dressed, attractive woman. And then she had this um, you know, carefully framed, the same shops, the same offices, the same government departments. Uh, and she, she uh, hired a, um, uh, a, a kind of New York theater um, 
cost uh, so costume designer and uh, makeup artist. And so she then went as an old woman with her whole you know, body made, made stiffer, like stiffening her joints, changing her face, her clothing, everything, and teaching her how to adopt the mannerisms of somebody who was much older. And then she, she followed the same um, uh, script as she went into the shops and, and offices and then compared how she was treated in those different situations, quite sort of tabulating the responses. And even though, you know, and her report of it was that even though I was a scientist and I was trying to be objective, you know, I was feeling seriously hurt <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, and outraged at how the, you know, when I was an attractive young, young woman, I got one set of treatment. Uh, I was uh, seen as an, an old woman, quote unquote. I was seen very differently, or not seen at all. That I was invisible, and so that uh, that kind of, um, and then she talked about how that was also a, a, a learning for her, uh, even though you know she was it was an experiment. She wasn't in that physical situation herself, but learning how to be uh, accepting or understanding of that kind of mistreatment, that was uh, also a, an aspect of. Of, uh, as a development of wisdom uh, and a, a kind of a, a, a liberation in that. So, oh yeah, I can't expect to be treated the same way. Yeah, that, that this, this is what happens in the human condition. It's unkind. There's a cruelty in the world as well. Uh, again, there's a, 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 um, uh, one of the, the people who had helped to set up the group in, uh, in Berkeley in the um, monthly teachings of the uh, visiting uh, the Berkeley area in S San Francisco Bay. And um, she just made this comment, because she's a, a woman in her late 60s, uh, early 70s, and she just made this comment, oh, oh, oh I'm invisible. And I was quite, uh, I said, what do you mean, Julie? She said, well, I mean, I I'm a 68-year-old woman, yeah, uh, so people don't see me. And, uh, and uh, how she, uh, and she talked when we had a very interesting conversation a very about how that felt to be, say, Mistreated or, or overlooked and, and, and uh, unrespected um, because of her, her condition of her age. So that uh, I, I, I'm cautious of making sweeping statements or, or kind of uh, uh, putting myself in other people's shoes. But um, uh, I wouldn't say that um, they are uh, uh, just because one is receiving you know, negativity or a painful experience, those painful experiences or those. Those uh, sense, those experiences of disconnect can be very fruitful too. Um, the um, uh, the uh, uh, comparison of going forth as a monastic and uh, going forth into old age is also a major point that you didn't uh, uh, address. Is that one is voluntary, the other is not. <laughs> <laughs> and then, as I was, as it was occurring to me, as I was speaking, I realized, well, this is a big difference. <laughs> and uh, but. Um, uh, even though it's like uh, that, there is that big difference. Still, there is that um, that sense of uh, of relinquishment, whether it's obligatory or whether it's chosen. There's that experience of loss, and so it's also quite common when someone's entered into the monastic life. You you shave your head and put on the robe with a great deal of zeal and enthusiasm, and then six months later you realise. <laughs> what have I let myself in for? You know, I, I I was I was really ready for the holy life, but. <laughs> I didn't realize I'd have to let go of this, 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 and this, that I didn't even realize I was hanging on to. So there are also surprising relinquishments required when you, you go forth into monastic life. So anyway, there's a few considerations. Thank you very much, Ashan. Thank you.
Yes, when Achan Amaru said that yesterday, I thought, yes, that's true. But later on, I thought, how come that people are falling over backwards to support the Sangha at the London Vihara? You know, they fight over getting a to give a dana to the monks, but nobody is that enthusiastic about looking after old people. Then I thought, well, they don't have the moving the body around, giving bed baths or wipes, <laughs> clearing bed pans, <laughs> all that's not there. So I thought that must be the reason. <laughs> Just uh, coming on that uh, point. Thank, thank you, Ruki. <laughs> yes. Can't quite, yes. Can't, oh, yes. I'd like to speak to this and say that uh, I understand fears that you're not going to be well taken care of. But as somebody who's worked in an assisted living community, I want to speak for those people who really care. Yes, there's people in these communities that just do it as a job. But that's assuming that, that everybody who works in these facilities um, it doesn't have a heart. I think the people that I work with far and wide um, were there because they really cared and respected for elders. Now granted, a lot of the staff that, that, that I supervised were from countries where there's a whole different approach to elders. There's a greater respect, which uh, seems to be lacking um, in the United States, and I can't speak for the rest of the world. But um, I just want to suggest to people that um, don't assume that you won't be cared for because you're going to terrorize yourself. You know? Thank you, Catherine. Sister. I would like to ask Ajahn Amaro dealing about <laughs> Achan, I think you better go, leave the room. Go, going forward voluntarily the question I like to ask is Ajahn Chah is our teacher he has been you know stay in the uh, on bed for 10 years mm -hmm. but many people care for him they 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 even fight to to be his caretaker why is that and for us, for lay people, and for us, we still not yet get attained to his level. But I keep asking why. So why is a goodness? He did so many things so good that people want to help him. So for us, we also can do it. So in order to receive some goodness, some service from the other people when we get old, why don't we start now to do something good? Yes? And uh, my question to Ajahn, if you have time, just clarify it a little bit. Why Ajahn Chah gets so much help? <laughs> just a little bit for the audience. Thank you, Sister. Thank you. I think Joseph can speak to this very uh, directly because he was actually in charge of Ajahn Chah's care during the first 
three or four years after he had his stroke and was, uh, was seriously debilitated. So maybe Joseph would like to say a few things. Thank you. Uh, first, I'd, I'd like to comment on the fear that you spoke to of being cared for. And my initial reflection on that is that in, in, in our, our human family, in our human condition that we share so deeply, and that we're here at this place and this time uh, in a setting that propagates goodness and reflection and uh, love and caring for ourselves and for others, that I firmly believe that uh, everyone that is making that effort, that there's at least one person out there that in our time of need will show up and return some kindness and care for us so that ultimately we do die alone, even if we're surrounded by the entire world or the example of the Buddha, but ultimately um, that death is the individual death so that we are alone, but we can have the support of others that we see the love and care. And so it's just a firm kind of conviction within me that I think everybody is ultimately taken care of. And, and I love what uh, you know, uh, Ajahn Bodhibala said that by our actions now in this, in this present time, help to create those, or are not, they are creating those conditions for us. And uh, I certainly like to think that I'll at least have one or two people around me having spent the time looking after a, a great master. And, 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 you know, I mean that with all humility. As far as his, his care and, and being, and having the, 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 the wonderful opportunity and, and blessing to be a part of that, is that, that it's, it, it it's an example of, 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 of a person who completely dedicated and gave his life for the benefit of others. So like the ultimate sacrifice. And, um, and, and that has its, uh, its rewards. Obviously, because we have a living example, we don't. We, that there's many others, but there's the living example of, of him and, and all of these great teachers, and and other traditions and other people who have done good things. I mean, I don't know Mother Teresa, but I'm sure she didn't die alone. And and of course, these are very lofty examples that we that uh, we use. But uh, for him. He was so loved and, and respected and had such a, a broad following from uh, around the world that it's that people what I saw is that people wanted to give back and 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 I believe that it was it was an act of, of kind of ultimate sacrifice. Uh, on his part, to have given all those years of teaching and, and sitting for hours and not getting up even to 
you know, relieve himself of, of which he would need to do, but could sit there for hours and hours without moving and, and receiving guests from uh, all uh, walks of life, as well as from the most mundane uh, kind of frivolous questions to profound questions on the, uh, the depth of uh, practice and, and Buddhist teachings. So that when he became very uh, independent and helpless, that people kind of flocked to, uh, to that, uh, wanting to, to give back in some small way. So my part, I was blessed to, be, to have the opportunity to help to kind of create uh, the, 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 the surroundings with uh, a, a lot of support from the, the community, both the monastic community and the lay community, uh, to create those conditions so that um, when I left, uh, that there was it, was, it was just a, it was set up to just flow very smoothly and, 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 and well, and, and, and so people did flock to him to want to to give back because how does one repay uh, one's uh, teacher and where people uh, saw him as not only their teacher but mother father and all the things that manifest in the in the, the most lofty uh, um, parts of our hearts where we want to really express gratitude and, and love and kindness and in and, and so in some ways it's like, well, how, how could it have been any different with, with what he had created? And so there's that living example, a living embodiment of a, of, of a, a, a truly great person who uh, sacrificed and, and worked very hard for the, most of his life to, uh, to give to others his own uh, personal practice and then to give back and just be available without uh, the selflessness in that act. And so then the fruits that that created uh, and ultimately the, the gift perhaps is in the kind of the living example just like the Buddha that, that uh, Ajahn Amaro spoke about last night had chronic back pain. Well here's Ajahn Chah, like a helpless um, child, cannot even uh, bathe himself or clean himself after uh, you know, relieving himself. So, the kind of ultimate, it, and, and all of us think about, <clears throat> if, if, if I think about with ego, you know, somebody, you know, wiping my backside, that's not a very pleasant thought. But if I think about somebody loves me or cares about me enough and relates to me as another human being, that I would like someone to be kind to of that, it's like, oh, you know, when my, my own mother is going through that right now, she, tells me when we talk on the phone that she's embarrassed because, you know, she's not able to always make it to the bathroom on time. And yet she's not. She says, but I, I'm getting used to it. You know, I know they care about me and that's just kind of how it is. And, you know, how the, 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 the humility that takes then. And in our deepest fears, I think we ha all of us have that about being helpless and being cared for. But I think that's more about, you know, ego and, and pride rather than being able to deeply take into the, the depths of our hearts that we are, um, we are all in this human condition together and, and we're, not, we're not free of it in, and that the, our, this is our preparation, this is why we're here, everybody's interest is in how we can uh, 
best prepare ourselves and those around us that we care, care about to uh, do this with a sense of dignity, love and dignity and, and, uh, and grace. Thank you, Joseph. Could we let the mic go? Thank you. I can't quite see your name. Kathy. Kathy, thank you. Yeah, um, it's partly in response to uh, partly in response to what Catherine said when she said, "Don't assume the carers don't care," and I thought we're actually looking at it in a very one-sided way because don't assume the cared for don't care as well. Um, and uh, I, I ran a residential care home for the elderly for seven years, quite a few years ago. Uh, and it isn't one-sided, however stroppy, cantankerous or difficult or helpless an old person is, um, that I had unparalleled opportunities to develop um, patience and humour and compassion that I probably wouldn't have got anywhere else because they didn't necessarily all have a very high level of consciousness like a chan cha. They were very difficult to love, very difficult to be with. And the other last thing was very recent for me. A very dear friend died and I spent a lot of time with her before she died and she went through lots of things with me about her funeral and um, I saw her just before she went into the hospice and then in the hospice. And as I sat at her funeral, I was going through all the things I had done for her and all of the times I had gone round and met up um, and how difficult it was at times to make that time and go and spend the time with her. And I suddenly had this really um, uh, I had this epiphany that actually all that time I thought sh I was looking after her and I was giving her my lovely caring services. She was looking after me. She was making sure I was all right about her going and giving me every opportunity in her precious life to spend time with her. And it was very humbling because I, it, I, it just completely flipped it. It wasn't me, just me doing it for her. It's, it's two ways, it's not one way. We, we, we seem to be talking in a little bit of a polarised way about caring for them, and it's still caring for each other. Thank you very much, Cathy. Thank you. Yes. Oh. Form a human chain. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you so much. that phrase which Prabhakaro used, how could it be otherwise? I felt just worth adding a few words. Because as well as an expression of personal karma, you might see it Rajan Chah and, and the response in the people who came to him. It was also can be seen as just a continuation of what his life was, that ongoing offering to Dhamma. That ongoing offering for the unfolding of Dhamma, then how could it be otherwise? And similarly to what Kathy was just saying, you know, it m may be easier to kind of reflect that way with someone like Ajahn Chah, but ourselves, other people as well, how could it be otherwise? And, you know, though <sighs> probably not right to reflect in the future that way. Um, 
I think what Palmer said would be more appropriate. It can be otherwise <laughs> in how we live our present. But it seems a very appropriate way for us to reflect upon our lives. Thank you. Can we have that? Can we just go back yes. that way? Yes. Could you pass it back behind you, please, Steve? Thank you. I can't see your name. Sash. Sash. Thank you, Sash. I'd like... I'm a very recent Buddhist. I've only been practicing for two years. So I've heard a lot already about the people who've been coming for years and who have undoubtedly built up a very deep and profound meditation practice. I would like, during this time, I hope we'll be able to consider people like me who haven't that experience and who say to themselves, how am I going to develop my practice if my mental faculties start to leave me? The practice is very, very related to the mind. And it's something that intrigues me with Ajahn Chah. How was his mind during those last 10 years? Was he, in what state of meditation was he? I'll put it like that. And with people who have dementia and who have no mental communication anymore, does that mean that they aren't still meditating? Maybe they're in the state of neither perception nor, nor non-perception, and we don't even know. And I would be very grateful if we could... Uh, these are imponderables. There's no way of ultimately knowing the answer, but maybe we could think about it a little bit. Thank you, Sash. <laughs> very good question. At an emerald. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Uh, a couple of things uh, have come to mind uh, during the la last few exchanges, um, particularly uh, Ajahn Bodhipala's comment about um, uh, you know, lo looking after Ajahn Chah and. Uh, and you know, what inspired that, well, as uh, Pabakro kind of explained uh, and uh, talked about his luminous and uh, uh, you know, wonderful nature of his being and uh, the uh, the kind of wisdom and and uh, generosity uh, of his life, he'd given so abundantly. But uh, along with that kind of care coming, uh, say, in an unremitting way, uh, Ajahn Chah was in was bedridden for ten years and never had a bed sore. Which is a, an extraordinary level of care uh, for that uh, that period of time, but uh, what I would like to move towards, obviously, this is a, uh, a vain ideal, but uh, to be regarding, uh, to encourage us to live as human beings with regard to everybody, whether they are a, 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 a radiant arahant or whether they are just a cantankerous, <laughs> yeah, difficult uh, old uncle, you know, that we we see all beings in the same way and we give that same quality of care. I was also reminded of uh, meeting many years ago uh, a, a Sri Lankan doctor. I think it was here at Amravati in the early days of, uh, of Amravati. And, and uh, I asked him what, what field he was in. He said, oh, I'm uh, I do geriatric psychiatry. And he said, uh, he said do you know why I chose that? And uh, uh, I, so I said, you know, what, what's the, uh, um, what are the job opportunities? Uh, he said, oh, I have plenty of opportunities. <laughs> This is the, the least popular end of the medical profession. You know, when people go through medical school, they want to be heart surgeons or brain surgeons or all these kind of sexy you know, possibilities that are uh, glamorous and uh, high-paying. And so No one wants to be a geriatric psychiatrist. 
So I have a completely open field. <laughs> and also he saw it was the most uh, uh, you know, unloved area of the, uh, of the medical profession, in his estimation. But also he, he realized that he could give most abundantly there. And that uh, he was very—he was a very, very bright being. His uh, his whole manner and his presence was was very beautiful and uh, and uh, sort of gladdening. And it was uh, uh, something that uh, I remember. It was more than twenty years ago that I met him, and it had a very powerful impact on me. That he deliberately chose uh, people who would be difficult to work with and that you know, others didn't want to be with. He said, "I can do that." And not just because he'd have a range of job opportunities. <laughs> I mean, I think he was just being self-effacing in that way. But because he, he saw, well, these are the ones that nobody else wants to bother with, so I'll do that. And that, to me, that, that embodies a huge, uh, hugely important aspect of, of Dhamma life and, and the, the spirit of practice. And also, uh, speaking about Ajahn Chah, that one of the most striking um, characteristics of being around him was that he gave uh, equal attention to uh, one of the, you know, the, the uh, uh, kind of illiterate villagers from his from his own home. That uh, the people who are uh, subsistence farmers um, from you know, a nearby province from from the northeast to you know, the um, someone from the, uh, um, the uh, was a member of parliament or a, you know a high-ranking royal that came to to visit. He w if there was if there was a, a good conversation going on, if they had good dhamma questions and there was a good dialogue going on, he would talk, you know, regardless of who you were, uh, and it was just a person-to-person, being-to-being exchange. So that kind of uh, impartiality uh, was very much a, a characteristic of his way, and I feel that sense of impartiality in caring for others, um, even though obviously people are more drawn towards helping the 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 holy and the radiant and the helpful. <laughs> I feel it's a, an aspiration that we can make as human beings to have that same kind of impartiality in caring for each other. In terms of Ajahn Chah's mental state, one <laughs> um, one uh, story I was I was told I, I was living here in Britain, so Joseph uh, was more on hand in the early uh, years of Ajahn Chah's uh, uh, illness and and sort of decrepitude. Um, but what one uh, account I heard was that. Uh, because during the first few months after he had his stroke and the brain damage was was in place, he would sometimes he, he couldn't act or speak according to his own will. He would try and do something, and something else would happen. And so that he would, uh, you know, he would try and say something, and the wrong words would come out. And he'd be su surprised at what he said, and and it became distressing to people who come to visit came to visit him. So eventually, uh, uh, they had to uh, actually ask him to stop speaking to people because it would it was a uh, Freaking, uh, it would freak people out. And uh, the comment that when uh, uh, this was I, I, I heard reported, maybe Joseph can confirm it or not. Ajahn Chah used the 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 simile of of a tel an old telephone exchange. You know that uh, maybe you see in the old <laughs> in the old movies that you see nowadays, plugging wires into sockets. And he and uh, the comment he made was that the the monkeys are having fun in the in the telephone exchange. <laughs> They're plugging the wires into the wrong sockets. <laughs> that was the image that came to mind. That he's sending out. He's trying to say, you know, uh, good morning. How are you? And what's coming out is, you know, uh, you know, the mangoes are lousy this year. <laughs> you know, or, um, the, or that kind of a thing. That what the mind was saying, the mouth wasn't repeating. So, uh, in response to Sash's comment, one of the things that is, in a way, is is important, and why I was stressing the aspect of attitude last night is that 
even when the mind is deranged or, or out of order, if the attitude is one of, of non-entanglement, non-attachment, non-identification with thought, you can attend to the mind thinking crazy thoughts, deranged thoughts, and not be upset by that. Because the, the more that the mind has been prepared, once, if you try to start once, you, once dementia has already set in, it's going to be very difficult. <laughs> so this is why we try to, to work in the present and prepare ourselves here and now. Because if we are able to establish that quality of awareness that can know, wow, the mind is really crazy, or that was a weird thought, or you know, why do I feel that? Where did that emotion come from? To, to see it, to feel it, to know it, and to not buy into it, that's a tremendously powerful skill. And so that... Uh, I would, uh, uh, yeah, I had some experience of this myself in states of illness or extreme uh, tiredness and such like, um, where it's very distinct. There's, there's a clear awareness, and you can uh, be uh, alert and attentive to the mind in a totally deranged state, hallucinating. I, I was on some medicine once for about a week, and I was having auditory hallucinations, very vivid auditory hallucinations, day after day, for hours and hours and hours. There was a stream running by past my kuti, and one day it would be Beethoven. The next day it would be playing Led Zeppelin. Yeah. The, yeah, the next day it was Wagner. Yeah. <laughs> very distinct, like major orchestral productions. Very, very clear. And I could, I could be uh, aware of just lying there in my kuti with my kind of slightly fevered state going, Oh, Wagner today. <laughs> the, the, you know, the ride of the Valkyries for three and a half hours. So, so that that capacity that we, we have uh, and that we can develop in meditation to know the thinking mind, the, the, the flow of moods, and to not be uh, identified or confused by them, that's a tremendously beneficial skill because as the mental faculties start to break down and then the, there's more and more derangement, then the heart can be completely at peace even though the, the, the thoughts and emotions can be flowing around all over the place. There's a beautiful little book called Dear God, Mr. God, This is Anna, that some of you might be familiar with. And it's a story, a very uh, unusual a little girl, five, six-year-old girl in London. And she used to like to, she, she had run away from her parents and li was living under her own steam and got adopted by this fellow called Finn, who was the one who wrote the book. And she used to go out with him and, and spend night, the, the night time with the, the street people out at night time. And there's the, the, the kind of leader of, the, of the, um, the street dwellers was a fellow called Woody. And a, a number of the dialogues in the book are between Anna and, and Woody, and she's plugging him with questions. And uh, in that, one of those dialogues, Woody says, um, says well, the, the daytime is the time for the head and the senses. The nighttime is the time for the heart and the wits. In the daytime, uh, we, th we see the sun and we think we can see clearly, but the sun is only the nearest star. At night time, we can actually see much further because the stars that we see are billions and billions of times further away than our own sun. And then he, w and he explains how when you are identified with the head and the senses, then when that all changes or gets upset, then, then you get upset with it. But if you develop the, the heart, the faculty of, of wisdom and awareness, then, and you develop your wits, was the, the term he used, then... Uh, when the senses go blurry and get deranged and out of, out of whack, then you, you, uh, your heart doesn't get out of whack in the same way. The heart is able to know that those kind of distortions without confusion. Thank you very much for the contribution. Joseph?
Just, just a brief, there's several things, but I, I want to be respectful of the time and, and other folks. Uh, the, the insight, if, if you will, or, and the memory that I have, and somewhat of the conclusion, not conclusion in the end, but um, in, 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 in summary, before I left, I, I saw a, uh, an, an old man, a helpless old man, who was uh, a great master and teacher. And I say was because the dynamic receiving guests, teaching, all of those things that uh, he gave for so many years was not there, and yet he was still teaching just by being there. But regarding the, 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 the mind state, which I think is very, and, and, and I, I don't believe there's anyone alive uh, today, and maybe there never was, that could actually speak to other than perhaps other very highly attained uh, masters, as I believe he was. And I don't believe that's so important, but what I saw in his uh, demeanor and how he was, he was, he was like a baby. And I don't mean a baby in, in like uh, young, because it's like these are the two sides of our life from, from the helplessness of a baby to perhaps or from us to the helplessness of, of an aged old uh, man or woman. And in that there was this beauty because there was really nobody home. It was just conditions, and and so it, 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 to me the mind state did not it did not really come to um, uh, to bear in that. Like if we think of a baby, does a baby have you know any particular baby still not uh, that we can see uh, and, and and observe that a baby is not thinking. A baby is just there as as part of nature. And, and then it learns the, the way to behave and the conditioning that we all uh, sit here with for the, our, our many years uh, that we've been on the planet. And so his, his state was just like that of a baby, this kind of innocence and almost freedom. And so it was just the, the conditions of a body uh, playing themselves out to the end of, of life. And to me, there wasn't a question, well, is he enlightened or is he in some, you know, uh, bright state? It didn't really matter that, this, that, that, that that body seemed free, and it was just that, a body that was, uh, you know, de devoid of, of anything that, of, 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 uh, that, that really I, I felt I needed to judge or know. It was just there, and that was enough. It was just, this was, this was nature, and that was his, his final teaching. Look, this is just nature, and, and as nature, we're all the same in that way. Well, thank you very much. Um, I th think we've run out of time for this particular discussion. Um, I'd like to thank uh, both Richard and Chris for kick-starting off the, the, the seminar in terms of the presentations, and thank them for provoking such rich feedback from the groups. Yes, um, very wonderful. Um, we have about uh, 12, 13 minutes till our meal time. What I'd like to suggest is that we have five minutes of silence and then we go to the dining room where the meal will start at 11.30. There'll be a meal offering made to the monastics amongst us and then we'll have our meal. We'll start in silence and then silence will be broken by a bell into the meal. So I'll ring the bell in five minutes' time. Thank you. And thank you very much for all the contributions from the floor. Thank you. <laughs>